Welcome back to the Adam B and Adam G NBA podcast, the biggest podcast in southeast Melbourne that relates to the NBA playoffs. With me on this Friday night, I've got a wonderful young man. You may be familiar with him. It's none other than my co-host, Adam G. Adam G, how are you? I'm very good. Um, I was wondering if uh, some of the listeners were expecting you to bring back our other guest uh, instead of me for this podcast. Uh, this wonderful young man he, thought it might have yeah. been Hayden. Look, he's a great guy and we all like Hayden. He's actually in the, the room across from me, but, um, you know, can I be bothered setting one an extra mark? Yeah, he's a, he's a one and done for now. We might bring him back in for the conference finals. Um, Is there a reason why we didn't bring – oh, that's right. Yeah, the Denver Nuggets were out of the playoffs now. Um, that's not very nice is what I'll say, but um, I'm going to leave Hayden to respond for himself. Hey, since we last spoke, there's been a shit ton of playoff action, including a totally not shit first round. What do we have? A couple of game sevens. We had some long-ass series, only one sweep, and it was a lower seed sweeping a higher seed. What do you think so far? I always feel like we have a, a few more sweeps and gentlemanly sweeps uh, hmm. in that first round. Uh, but even the, even for example, the Philly Miami series, which was a four-one, felt very competitive and very intense. Those matchups, and it was worth watching. Yeah, it um, had twists, right? There was like the, yeah, the big D twists. Wade game, and exactly. yeah, you know, that was nice. That was still entertaining. Yeah, it had Pat Riley calling out Hassan Whiteside after the in the end of season press conference. So that was uh, it's always fun to hear Pat Riley's angry end of season press conference. Yeah, it's an that's an ugly looking contract now, isn't it? Ooh. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, the Warriors battled against the Spurs, and their offense wasn't clicking on all cylinders. Um, we'll get to them shortly as well. Um, and we'll get to the Kawhi situation as well, for sure, after a recent a recent commentary from Ramona Shelburne on the jump. Uh, and the Rockets over the Timberwolves, well, I know we kind of expected the Wolves to lose that one, and a lot of us predicted a 4-1 or a 4-0, but at the very least, with a kind of rusty Jimmy Butler, they made an effort to get back in the series. Yeah, they, they showed some weaknesses uh, of the Rockets, and there was like, you know, entire halves where the Rockets didn't play any defense and Harden looked like he was pouting a bit. But all in all, um, very enjoyable series, very enjoyable first round. Should we get right into what's happening in these semifinals, the conference semifinals, and start with the Rockets and the Jazz? We can. Can I just pour one out for the Indiana, Indiana Pacers who gave us a very entertaining seven-game series against the Cavs? And they tried really hard. They tried harder than any other playoff team I can remember. Um, yeah. And also the Milwaukee Bucks, who with just a horrible, basically a substitute teacher coach, uh, Joe Prunty, who also dressed horrendously as well. That was a big issue. Yeah, that might have been purple why they on lost. purple yeah. going on there. That might have been why they lost the series. But look, the Bucks and Pacers gave us really good series. And fuck you, Washington and OKC. Yeah, you're both pretty shit. That was the shit. most disappointing. Yeah, they were they, both that was shit. Almost, yeah, that was almost more disappointing than the Trailblazers who just could not stop Anthony Davis. That's at least understandable. The Wizards didn't show any heart um, and OKC just showed how broken they are and how delusional you were to think they could do anything in the playoffs. Really quickly, yeah. the, the the Indiana Pacers were spectacular and they do deserve a hats off. Fucking Oladipo was wonderful. And the fact that it's like Oladipo and then like a huge jump down and then it's like Miles Turner and then it's like a huge jump down and it's Lance Stevenson and that's the team. Sabonis. Yeah. Sab- look, Sabonis, try- like, Sabonis and Miles Turner played good minutes at the five. Uh, and you're right. Lance had a couple of moments here. They had one Darren Collinson game in the seven-game series. Hmm. Uh, don't you think that they, the Cavs could have won that series much quicker if they just played Tristan Thompson? I don't know. Like it's, it's, I know he has his weird stuff going on, and we almost needed to bring on your lovely fiancé to explain that. But I don't understand why they didn't play him sooner. I think that was a big reason. And 
I also think that his play at the start of the season was absolutely crap. His ball handling and his ability to catch the ball, finish around the rim. I mean, even then, we're talking about the simplest passes and the simplest actions possible, and he was really failing at everything basketball-related any time he had to get anywhere near the ball and wasn't defending well either. So it made sense why they hadn't played him for a while. But, hey, yeah, kudos to him for providing the same energy and spark that was needed to get over the paces. Yeah, and if, if we could quickly... Um, the Bucks, the Bucks really should have won that series. And Absolutely. Someone and needs to say that. I was really disappointed that. with Giannis. I was really disappointed with Giannis and speaking to a few people in regards to that series and how excited we were for the seventh game and for what could happen. Giannis had scored, I think, 31 points as it was the most in the previous six games. And I was expecting a LeBron versus Raptors kind of performance. Give me 40 points, Giannis, and win game seven. But no, he he really didn't play well in game seven and he had to. Yeah. Uh, that was really was disappointing because they had the more talented. Middleton. Yeah, Middleton was incredible. They had the more talented team, and they just kept coming, giving up runs or not finishing games. And to their credit, I mean, their first game, even going to overtime, was pretty solid. But anyway, let's let's move on to the current round, shall we? Uh, it's the Rockets and the Jazz, and it's incredibly tied at one-one. Yeah, and it's the yeah the only series tied at one-one, and it's probably the series that we thought wouldn't be tied at 1-1. So I don't know what to make of this now. I Some of the players on the Jazz were talking about the quick turnaround from their uh, Game 6 first OKC. Yeah, and that how was the talking that point, point, right? Yeah, and they were talking about that and how that Game 1 of the Rockets series, they just didn't have enough time to prepare and didn't have their legs and were fatigued. And there was just a real issue coming into that series in Game 1. Uh, and then game two, uh, they made a couple of adjustments. But the biggest thing, and the biggest adjustment being Exum on Harden, for, he guarded them for 22 plays. I take back um, everything I ball. ever said about Dante Exum. I take what, it all I mean, what an back. Entrance. Yeah, what a game. I mean, and that dunk, that defense. Oh, dunk. I know, like, he might be on, better man. than Ben Simmons now. Yeah, we'll get onto that. <laughs> but the, um, the Jazz looked good, well, and fuck yeah, me. Yeah, and they hit, they hit their threes, and the Rockets didn't. And we could always just say, okay, all the the only difference was they hit their threes, and the Rockets didn't. The biggest difference was that the Jazz absolutely did everything they could to stop the Rockets having any three point shot at all. Ran them off the three point line again and again and again, and then forced them into the paint or whatever. Rockets scored 50 points in the paint in that game, which for most teams, they would say, awesome. We played really well. We got 50 points in the paint. The Rockets don't want to be doing that. The Rockets want to be getting their points mostly behind the arc, not getting all their points inside the arc and inside the paint. And there's, so the Jazz there's been brilliantly there. Yeah, and there's been like really nice defense and like high-level analytics explaining that the Rockets going ISO from three is actually working for them and it's actually not a low-percentage play. But when those ISO plays are happening from the mid-range and they're contested, like Mike D'Antoni looked like flummoxed and it was very, very interesting. Um, And Donovan Mitchell has continued to like play well beyond his years. The polish he's shown. It's playmaking. He's even just more mature than I thought. Yeah. yeah, but just to suddenly take on the responsibility of distribution, uh, yeah, and for covering for Ricky Rubio, to just suddenly do that and just to be asked to do that in a game two against the number one seed and the best team in the NBA this season, to be asked to do that by your team and your coach and just do it so well, eleven assists. Yeah, and some of those passes were absolutely unbelievable. You. You don't know where he's looking. You don't know where he's going to be passing until the last second. And he gives Gobert some easy layups and dunks. And he was amazing. And for all that good about the Jazz, I think I thought the biggest issue with the Rockets was their defense and how they just gave up 
easy threes yeah. and easy points, and it didn't seem like it didn't seem like the effort or the intensity to get out to shooters or anything like that, or make a second effort to get out to a shooter and rotate was there. And they weren't really out of the game until the last like thirty or forty seconds, right? Yeah. Am I crazy? Yeah, no, they weren't. And the way they were trying to get back into the game, though, was as sloppy as their defense. They were like walking into threes and it looked so, so lazy and ill thought out. And I wonder if Rubio being out and Exum coming up a step in the rotation has kind of shifted their mentality defensively a little bit more. I'm not sure what effect that had, if any. Yeah. But that's something I took, I, I noted, and Rubio's going to come back um, maybe for game three, which you've noted here could be the biggest game for both teams this entire season. It could be. I mean, we have a, a track record of teams who go up 2-1 uh, tend to win the series more often than not, um, more than the team who goes up 1-0. So people always talk about game one being very crucial, who wins game one, but actually who wins game three tends to be a really, really key game in terms of the outcome of most series uh, through the history of the NBA. And this is a massive game for the Rockets. Mm. And in terms of like, how do you how do you deal with or how do you adjust to the fact that you – Chris Paul only had three assists. Well, what did and we talk yeah. about before the playoffs started, Adam G? We like these guys haven't faced and overcome adversity. And what no, did you notice in the last minute of this game? Like they, the Rockets were still in the game. They were bringing the ball up. And what happened? Chris Paul literally lost the ball out of bounds. Like just lost his dribble in the last 30 seconds when they're trying to come back and win a game. And it's just head scratching. And I, there's still question marks on this team. By comparison, Utah have overachieved and they can feel free to, like, you know, play loose. They've stolen a game at home. I don't know. It's really, really interesting all of a sudden. And I'm completely sick of Harden's sticky-tack bullshit fouls where he, like, stops into someone and gets two free throws in the bonus. So, I don't know. This, is, this series is a bit sexy now. I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, as we said, it's just the one series where we kind of expected Houston to go up 2-0 and we expected all the other series to be 1-1 and intense and tight but this is great to have the one seed in this kind of trouble and not only the one seed but the one seed with their two best players and their head coach having a massive track record of playoff failure and this Mm. is absolutely a key game going into utah Mm. where we've just seen russell westbrook lose his head going into utah Mm -hmm. and all these people fall pierce and yeah, Paul Pierce and Stephen Jackson talking about how Utah was one of the worst places to play. Um, some of those difficulties being not morally great, but some of them just being the atmosphere there is it's a tough place to play. Um, this is a big game for the Rockets, and the biggest issue for them is unlike the Jazz who made an adjustment from game one to game two with making Exum guard Harden for all those every minute of his 17 minutes in the game he guarded Harden the difference is the Rockets do what they do they play six guys or six and a half guys and that's their rotation and they ride those guys every single game and that's it no one else plays there's not going to be any rotation of any other player coming in Dan Tony's teams they do what they do and this is what they do and it's either going to work or it won't it's going to be a very interesting game three. I am seriously looking forward to it. Probably more uh, more than I'm looking forward to the Warriors-Pelicans game three. And I'll tell you why. This series, if the Pelicans had their missing superstar, would have been fucking incredible. There is already yeah. so much tension. The, the Rondo, Draymond Green vibes... These kind of like underdog, scrappy Pelicans. I would have loved to see these two teams go up full strength because the Pelicans are putting up a pretty good fight regardless. Game one obviously wasn't great, but game two, they were kind of keeping up through portions, but this feels like it's going to be an honourable sweep and it kind of breaks my heart. It does. And it look... 
the positive might be that it shuts those people up that say that the Pelicans are better without DeMarcus Cousins. Which is a I ridiculous mean, thing to say. Which is ridiculous. If As good as Nikola Mirotic has played, if you can have a game where your three bigs are Mirotic, Cousins, and Anthony Davis, and you get playoff rondo in this kind of attitude, in this kind of form, and Drew Holiday finally playing up to his contract, those four guys can absolutely do some damage. That means you don't have to play guys like Darius Miller and Solomon Hill, and you don't have to be playing Nikola Mirotic 68 minutes either. Hmm. Boogie is arguably the best center in the league. The skill that he has to play there, make your choice, like make, choose your, choose how you're going to defend this as a Warriors. You either put Draymond on Anthony Davis or you put him on Boogie when both of them are in the game. And either way, he's not going to stop them. No, he can only hope to like slow him down a little bit. Uh, did we, and you're did, right, and it makes me sad now that you say that. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge missed opportunity. I hope that the Pels can steal one, at least slow them down a bit. Do, do you think we all slept on the Warriors because Steph Curry had been out with injury and the Rockets were like new and shiny and a sexier thing? I think so. And I tell you, when he entered the game and hit that first yeah. three, the next two or three or four minutes of that game, I've never been as scared of an NBA team. Oh, yeah. The They're scary. The crowd right and the energy and the... The ball movement went back to like, I mean, we saw the Warriors play against the Spurs and struggle on offense. And we saw them, even in game one against the Pelicans, it wasn't outstanding. It's more been their defense that has carried them through the playoffs. Yeah, they got their boy back now. Oh, as soon as Steph entered the game, you just, they were unstoppable. I, I don't know what you do. I'm surprised the game was that close. Yeah. And I'm worried for any team where if their defense is really at this level where I don't think we saw this all season, not even in the big games, not even in the national TV games, if their defense is like this and their offense is clicking just by entering Steph, not even even needing any chemistry time to gel with everyone else, uh, everyone's fucked. Yeah, I think everyone is fucked. And, you know, looking at my bracket for the playoffs, I can't believe I put the Rockets to beat the Warriors. Like, now that just feels so naive and short-sighted. But, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll see what happens with that series. Um, shall we move on to my favorite series of the playoffs? The, the, the Eastern uh, Conference? The, the Eastern Conference one four matchup. This is my favorite playoff series at the moment. I'm really vibing with it. I feel like an asshole for vibing with it, but it's just <laughs> so delicious. Uh, after all the talk, after all of the this year's going to uh, be different, the Raptors have the best bench in basketball. The Raptors have the best home court record. They got that one seed. They've secured home court advantage through the playoffs. You know, Lowry and DeRozan are clicking. You got other contribu- contributors like Van Vliet. Everyone's clicking. All the pistons are firing. This is the year. It's going to be different. And what fucking happens, Adam G? What LeBron happens? LeBron still owns Toronto. LeBron, yeah, he has the he has the deed. <laughs> he has the deed to the city of Toronto. It's his. No, like, like really, like yeah. How like how much of Toronto does LeBron now own? We've been talking about this. Like, is it just Kyle Lowry? Like, does he is Kyle Lowry LeBron's bitch, or is it Lowry or Drake, or is it both of them, or is it as you said, the entire city is LeBron James's city? I think everyone in that city should be legally required to call LeBron dad. Just like you yeah. don't have to like him, but you can no. call him dad. Dad, like, sorry, dad, or fuck off, dad. You can say it's fine, but you got to call him dad. Oh, uh, but there's lots of like cowering and sorry, dad, and. I apologize and... Please stop. Please stop. Please stop hurting me. Please stop hurting yeah. me. Yeah. The, the, you could see it happening in game one, just to actually get back to basketball for a second. You knew that if the Raptors didn't close that game, that was it. You knew it. <laughs> yeah. You could feel it in your gut. 
And because after they, they came missed... off two days ago, they played in a game seven against the hardest trying, the biggest try hard team ever in the Indiana Pacers. Try hard in a good way. No, but yeah, you could feel it in that fourth quarter that when they were every layup they missed, every offensive rebound they gave up. You're like, oh, they better win this. They better win this. And they literally had four or five bites at the apple before that game went to overtime. There were tip-ins, there were wide-open three-pointers, DeMar DeRozan floaters, and you just fucking knew. You knew once that game went to overtime, LeBron wasn't going to lose. And you knew once the Raptors lost that game, this series was over. And LeBron's performance today made absolute fucking sure of that. That was just, he, he, he tore them apart limb for limb. Yeah, he's... He's currently owning the Raptors and owning the playoffs in every category possible. Every category you can think of, LeBron is just ahead of everyone. Minutes, box, plus, box score plus minus, uh, win shares, points per game, field goals per game, two-point field goal attempts and makes, uh, defensive rebounds. He is free throw attempts, he is absolutely all over it. And the people who feel it the most are the Raptors. And, man, like, I don't know, man. Should we have seen this coming, given that every single interview Lowry and DeRozan put in before the series, they talked about LeBron? Yeah. They talking about they, their they own They were doing all the wrong things. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that... I think How that, about we finish with the top – we finished number one seed in the East. We are the fucking champions. We're going to go beat him. They – look, I'm not being a dick when I say this. I mean this so sincerely. If and probably when they lose this series, they need to accept that that core is shook. That core is scarred and that core is never going to beat LeBron James in a playoff series. I what know would it's you count as their core? Lowry and DeRozan. Would you count a Barker and uh, JV, Valanciunas in there as well? No, you can, you can keep them. But those two guys, I don't know. This is like, okay, it, the only comparison I can think of is when LeBron couldn't get through the big three era Celtics, right? Yeah. It took him four, five, six bites of the apple, whatever it was. He kept on losing to him. But... Like, the advantage in that situation is that that was LeBron James, right? He and, had and he to... was also by himself against those three. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, the fact is, like, he's LeBron James. And, yeah. like, th- those are some serious demons you have to conquer. And uh, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but I think he's just mentally fucked them for good. Like, uh, I think I it's think a mental thing has. now. Like, I don't know how you come back from something like this season after season. Will this not be – is this four or five seasons in a row they've met in the playoffs? Uh, I honestly don't know, but I do know that out of the last three seasons of playoffs, uh, at the moment the Cavs or LeBron is on a seven-game win streak versus the Raptors. Uh, last year he beat he swept the Raptors 4-0, and the previous season they beat the Raptors – uh, 4-2. In what was the uh, softest 4-2 ever? Sorry, yeah, even now it's, sorry, it's eight games in a row he's beaten the Raptors. In the playoffs? In the playoffs. Just in the playoffs he's beaten the Raptors eight times in a row. And we talk about um, we talk about choking very, very often in sport. Whenever a good team doesn't win, we talk about choking. What we're actually talking about here is that under real conditions of stress, so high-pressure situations like a playoff game, what happens when you choke is you basically go back to thinking about every mechanical action too much or you think about under stress, you think about everything almost like a beginner. So you don't shoot with your with instinct. You don't shoot fluidly. You don't do it without thinking. You don't hit that shot that you've hit 3,000, 5,000 times, just like you do in practice, you start thinking about every single action. So when you watch the Raptors in the fourth quarter, who throughout the season, 
against everyone else were great in the fourth quarter and one of the best fourth quarter teams and one of the best home court teams as well. In the fourth quarter, when you watch that game back, you find two Raptors cutting to the same place and running into each other. Or you find players picking up their dribble when they shouldn't or hesitating when they're about to go up for a shot and have a clear lane to the hit a shot and they hesitate or they think about it too hard or they they try and overthink what's going on rather than just trusting all the practice that they've done and all the good stuff they've done. And you're right. It's a mental thing. They've choked. Well, that's the, the, those are the circumstances that lead to people missing five do. bunnies in a row in a fourth court. Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll end on two questions on this series. Number one, is, is that ESPN commentator today calling saying it's Lebronto, the most devastating burn on Canada since the South Park movie? I think it actually is. I think it trumps the South Park movie. It was it was so disrespectful. This is like a permanent owning. This isn't like, oh, this isn't like giving giving Canada a shit. This is like saying that you are no, we're not giving you shit. You are owned by yeah. someone. Yeah. This is your king. This is the guy that owns you. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Mark Jones from ESPN who dubbed it LeBronto, and. Here's the icing on the cake. Mark Jones, that commentator, was born in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, he was. Aww. That's 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 mean. That's really that's low. Um, yeah, but he must feel it. He knows it. He knows it. he's bowing down to his king. The second question, Adam G, uh, is does Le- does sorry, I almost said LeBronto. Does Toronto win a game in this series? Oh, I'm I'm worried about how the Cavs are gaining a little bit of momentum now for the Raptors uh, in terms of lineups in the first quarter to start, lineups in the fourth quarter, adjustments they've made. How the fuck is Lowry going to ever score against LeBron anywhere any at any time down the stretch? Uh, George Hill coming back into more form. JR has had a good couple of games. Kyle Corver just continues to. Don't forget my man Jeff Green. Yeah, and Jeff Green is is playing the way he should play based on the way he's being paid. Yes, he's playing like a vet minimum podcast where. Yeah, and recently on the Zach Zach Lowe podcast, where when the Magic gave him fifteen million dollars a year. That was a stupid decision that got them, the people who did that got them fired. When the Cavs signed Jeff Green to a minimum veteran contract, that's perfect. That's, that might be who he is. That's maybe what he's worth. Um, but the Cavs are working shit out, which is the worst thing for the Raptors. Because they're working shit out and they're, two, they're up 2-0 and they're going home and they still have LeBron. Yeah, it's a... Yes. What do the What do well, the Raptors do apart from just go crazy from three? Well, they I think they have to hope Cleveland regressed to the mean of their recent form, and they have to hope that they can just kind of rediscover the groove they were in for most of the season. These guys like had it going, they had it rolling, but I tell you what, the playoffs are a different beast, and this could get ugly really fast. They have to win. We talk about how the Jazz and the Rockets have to win game three. That's a really important game, and it's probably the biggest game for both teams this entire season. Yes, for the Jazz and the Rockets, that game three, but the Raptors have to win. They must yeah, win yeah. this game. But not just like not just for this season, for next season. Like if they get swept yeah. here, what happens in the offset? Like what are you meant to do? So that's a big one. Um, yeah. Adam G, would you mind just how's your headphone connection? Would you mind plugging that sucker in a bit a bit firmer? You're a bit choppy. I'm uh oh let's see how we go here. I'm actually not on any headphones. Oh. You're a bit on the choppy side, but uh let's let's soldier through um to the final series. And look, 
this Celtic 76ers series, uh, I spent about um, the past two weeks listening to people say it doesn't matter who comes out of the Boston uh, Milwaukee series, Philly's going to wipe the floor with them. Philly are the best team in the East. Philly have the most talent in the East. Um, Philly's going to make the finals. Doesn't matter what Boston or Milwaukee do, it's a cakewalk for them. And I was listening to it for like a couple of weeks, and I was sitting back and thinking, like, these is like these are a bunch of rookies, and they have literally never been playoff tested, and we're basing all. Well, let's of- be careful how we use the term rookie. Yeah, no shit. But we were basing all those all those takes on a win streak at the end of a season that included a I whole bunch of lottery thing. teams. And then yeah. them doing a gentleman's sweep on Miami, who literally, you know, they're, they're, they're an eighth seed, you know, like they're, they're not a great team. And so like they were a bad team with no star player and they're only even possibly close to star player. We just talked about their president called him out at the end of the season and said he was fucking shit. He said he was unfit physically and mentally to play in the playoffs. That was their best player, the Heat's best player. So with all that input, so, people have people started saying that Philly are the best team in the East, um, better than LeBron. The like, yeah. yeah. People, people were putting the 76ers, not even past the Celtics in this series. They were putting the 76ers to win this series, win the Eastern Conference Finals, and be in the finals. Anyway. It's just people overreacting to a win streak against shit teams when they they have a a standard or average coach, he's not going to harm the team and he's not going to provide anything super to the team. And some players who we haven't seen J.J. Redick perform excellently in the playoffs ever and some other players who have either never been there or, have again, haven't performed well in big moments. There's a reason why some of these players that they got, some of these veterans that they got, haven't necessarily been wanted by everyone all the time. Ilya mm. Sova is not a good player, and he's playing a lot of minutes or too many minutes for this team. Um, and mm. they are relying on him. I think we've talked about it before that, you know, they are relying on two players who have never been there before in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And Sometimes they might not perform well, like Ben Simmons in this game. And even Joel Embiid down the stretch. He sucked on defense because he was worried about getting his sixth yeah, foul out of the game. Yeah, and I think the commentators really missed that. They kept on saying, oh, you know, the Celtics players are just too fast for Embiid. I'm like, he wasn't even trying. He didn't want to get his sixth foul. Even on that game-winning bucket that Horford hit, the layup, like he's like, oh, I'd rather him just take that than get a sixth foul. Like it was ridiculous. Exactly. Um, anyhow, I don't think I don't blame the 76ers and I don't think they're a bad team. I just no, they're not. I'm confused by the hype. And I think that like anyone who thought they were gonna come in, like a bunch of people were predicting a five-game series to the Sixers. And that surprised yeah. me a little bit. And personally, I I thought it was gonna be one-one, but um, you know, Maybe the Celtics shouldn't have won today. I mean, they were down 21 and came back. But But it's not even the first time the 76ers have done that. Against the previous time they've played a good team, they were up by 30-plus against the Cavs and only won by two. Mm. A sign of youth. And that was a shit. Yeah, and that was a shit Cavs team. It just might be the up and downs. But by the way, 76ers, the Celtics have won six straight games at home now in the playoffs. If they're going to beat the Celtics, they have to beat Boston. They have to win all their games at home and beat Boston in Boston. Yeah, the math gets ugly once you're down 0-2. I mean, you got to win four of five, and when you yeah, when you're down 0-2, and you haven't got and home the court, haven't lost at home. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this Celtics team is like we don't need to overreact to Brad Stevens because anytime there's a a made basket or any kind of play, everyone says that it it was all down to him and he drew it up in the timeout or whatever, even when there wasn't a timeout. If there hasn't been a timeout for five minutes, someone will say Brad Stevens drew that up in the timeout. Like We get it. He's the coach. He's meant to coach. Yeah, but I think it's overdone. He's just been, 
Yeah, but he's just been really good at understanding matchups, really good at understanding when to play certain players and when to play others, really good at understanding the simple things like giving his teammate, giving his team the information they need to give. He needs to, they need to hear. So in one of the final timeout, uh, timeouts at the end of the game in the fourth quarter, he made sure to reassure his team they do not have any timeouts. They can only try and trap you and steal the ball or foul you. And it's a very simple thing to be said, but under high stress and high pressure, it's really important. And that's what he does. He's just, he's smart. He knows what to say at the right time and it might not be super complicated. Um, But I can't figure out who the Celtics' best player has been either. Well, this is the thing. Brad, Brad Stevens puts his players in a position to win. Like he'll play the right players at the right time and he'll, he'll give them the maximum opportunity of getting the most out of themselves. Um, I felt the same way last series where, yeah, Jalen Brown was the top scorer for the Celtics, but um, other guys kind of came in and meant a lot, like Rogier. All in all, when you're looking at guys like Rogier, Tatum, Brown, kind of quote-unquote leading the team through this, I can't help but feel that without Al Horford and that kind of steady head and someone who can just get buckets inside and play the percentage as well, without Al Horford, I don't think the Celtics would have won the last series and I don't think they'd be in such good shape in this series. I would say he's the most important player, uh, the, the leader. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and he's someone who I should have put on one of my all-NBA teams, even if he just snuck onto the third team. Uh, and he's, to put it simply for people, he's almost a, just a better version of Draymond Green and not heaps better, but they have a similar physical stature and similar skill set. And he's just, he's able to do the exact same stuff that Draymond does and still be calm in important moments as well. <laughs> and hit threes at a, at a little bit of a and higher hit threes at, Yeah, at a much higher clip, but not force them either. Mm. Um, he just does the right thing at the right time over and over and over again. And it must be an absolute joy to play with him. If you're those other Celtics players, a hardworking pro who has all the skills needed to be an awesome player and just chooses the right one at the right time. Yep, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think they look really My good. My favourite series. Yeah. I hate your Celtics, and I hate it when your Celtics win. But the way they've been playing, it's my favourite series so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when they go to Philly. Yes. Um, this is an awesome series that could only get better, and kind of hope the 76ers win the next game just to make it even more interesting. And I think um, they will. Like, it, it's going to be really interesting, like you say. But that this is the power of home court advantage. Um, like this, that building is a huge, huge, huge handicap for any team that has to come into it. And we saw that with Milwaukee. We saw that now with with Philly. Like, it's a scary place to play, and they they're loud. And these when you've got so many young guys out there like Rogier and Brown and Tatum, like those are the people that thrive the most when they're at home, the younger, more inexperienced, more emotionally vulnerable players. And they just happen to be the most important players for the Celtics in this series. So we've got to see if that's going to happen with Embiid and Simmons and co uh, when they go back to Philly. Yeah. Um, do you think Kevin Hart's the worst possible team supporter going around? Yeah, well, Drake, <laughs> Drake getting into it with Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> It's pretty good. See, I don't mind that. Yeah. I don't mind that. If, I, if uh, I'm a Toronto Raptors player or supporter, I don't mind him like standing up for my team. But all Kevin Hart's done recently has been drunk at the Super Bowl and try and get himself on stage with the Lombardi Trophy when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. He's, um, he's living his best life at the moment between those two he, teams. He's just doing anything that he wants to just chill out, have some fun and get drunk near games and enjoy the experience of Philly being mildly good in more than one sport. Um, Yeah. I didn't appreciate... I I just don't want him as my my ambassador, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I didn't appreciate him laughing at Jalen Brown's airballed free throw because, number one, Jalen Brown clearly shouldn't have been playing in the first place. And number two, his hamstring was still clearly 
bothering him, but that was kind of a turning point. Some people will say, oh, look, it was the offensive foul that Marcus Smart drew on Ben Simmons when Philadelphia were up 21 that turned the tide. I actually think it was Kevin Hart being a dick, like a little a little yeah. dickweed on the side of the court. That was, a, that was a clutch moment, you know. Things turned, and Kevin, you've cursed your team, is what I'm going to say. Yeah. Well, you cursed um, Ben look, Simmons at least. I mean, he's got, what did he score? One he, point. He scored one more point than we did in the playoffs. That's what I like to hear. One point. Yeah, so and he was outplayed we, by Markel Fultz. The next, the next field goal you hit, Ads, the next field goal you hit, you'll have more points than Ben Simmons. What do you think the Australian media is going to print in the newspapers tomorrow? Simmons explodes for one point in 76's loss? Well, they could either print that or they could print the fact that Dante Exum and Joe Ingles just destroyed the Jazz. I don't think Defensively we'll and offensively. <laughs> I don't think we'll hear like, about that. Don, no, like Dante Exum on defense and Joe Ingles on offense. <laughs> Fucking unreal. Absolutely amazing. And yes, they are going to talk about Ben Simmons being poo-poo. Um, and how Donovan Mitchell is a better rookie, probably. Um, but look, he'll be okay. Like he'll maybe this will wake him up to the fact that he's he's not quite LeBron yet. He's not Magic Johnson yet. He still has a way to go. And when he's playing game against the guards that he play, when he's playing game against Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown and all them and he manages to only score one point, yeah, he still has some work to do. And he's been he's been great so far, and he will continue to be exactly. great. And you know what? I, I fully expect this series to go to, to six, you know? Like, um, there was a reason why Philadelphia got up by more than 20 points today, and that's because they were clicking from yeah. the three-point range, and the Celtics looked stagnant on offense because they're, they're missing several of their best offensive players and they're relying on young guys kind of pushing through a lot of discomfort. So, I don't know, it's yeah. going to be really interesting. It's probably, yeah, as you said, going to be the most entertaining series we've got. But then again, we can also watch LeBron try and absolutely break the morale of the city of Toronto. We might see the entire city cry if the Cavs win the next game. Like that big pin needle thing they got. What do they call it? The tower thing in Toronto. Whatever oh, that is. the space needle. The space needle. Is that what they got there? I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's they it. Either way, Seattle, either way, we're I'm respecting it. Yes, either way. I, I, yeah. Look, look. I fully expect him to sweep them and just end them, and it's going to be incredible. And I also think that LeBron's going back to the finals, Adam G. Like, if he can, if he can get stuff out of Tristan Thompson... And Jeff Green and... And my boy, Kyle. Corver and Smith. He just needs one of them, really. And Kevin Love was good today. How about that? Kevin, Kevin Love had a Minnesota Timberwolves kind of Kevin Love game. That was pretty cool. He, yeah, he was just... Man, they... I just don't know what the Raptors do. But you're right. It's. I don't want to keep harping on about it. It's but sad. The, they choked in game one, and this might be like just a permanent scar on their entire lives until know, they I retire. Yeah, I don't know how you come back from that. And also, last night I thought, and it was it sent a shiver up my spine. I thought, what if after all the twists and turns of this season, all the drama and chaos of round one, all these emergent superstars and super teams and young upstarts, threatening. What if after all of that, we just get another Cleveland-Golden State series? Would that be disappointing? It would, it would kind of be disappointing. I think we're all looking forward to more than that. I don't know if we're going to get it. I just don't know. There's going to be an interesting couple of weeks, Adam G. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back myself predicting anything, considering I predicted the Spurs to get past the Warriors. And in our little playoff bracket, uh, I am dead last by a long way. It's not close, is it? Uh, it's not even close, and there's no hope of me coming back. So I, I'm not sure I'd be willing to go out on a limb and say who's going to make it through, but kind of like someone else other than the Cavs and Warriors to make it. That would be nice. 
but in the meantime, I think we've been absolutely blessed with some good basketball. I think we've got some good basketball ahead. Uh, so let's kick back and watch some more, Adam G. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for taking the time. On the, uh, oh. Yeah, should we just touch on quickly, just five minutes or even a little bit less on just the Kawhi situation? Oh, um, Kawhi, he who was absent from the entire Warriors Spurs series, even after <clears throat> the tragedy with Pop. Yeah, well, we just saw um, Ramona Shelburne go on the jump, um, which is a basketball program that I didn't think would last, but is certainly getting better. And I really like it now. Um, just a really good atmosphere and really good vibe to that show. Ramona Shelburne went on there and has some more information regarding Kawhi and just talking about how, well, the main the main decision maker or advisor to Kawhi is his uncle. Um, ever since Kawhi's father was shot and killed in 2008, his uncle, uh, and we'll get his name here, his uncle Dennis Robertson has been basically his father figure. and He takes big, his advice very seriously as well. Yeah, he, he loves him more than anyone. He's the guy who he knows is looking out for him. Um, and apparently we're at a situation where they believe that Kawhi's injury was di- or came about differently to the way the Spurs medical staff say it did and that Kawhi's camp believes that his condition is a result of a series of contusions to the quad muscle um, that began in March 2016 and it caused him to miss three games then. Um, and if you even have a look at the injury report on in February 6, 2017, it says he's listed again with a quad contusion. Um, and they believe that because of the repeated bruising and the re- repeated issues to the muscle has made it weaker and in, in turn affected the tendons connecting the muscle to the knee and all these problems that they're talking about. The big thing is Kawhi's playing three on threes in, tra- in practice and he was. He was, he was practicing with the team. The issue was that there were some movements, and he could get through most things, but there were some movements or some actions which still gave him pain and still gave him issues, and the Spurs disagreed with him. So we're, we're still stuck well, at the that guy, same point. Yeah, the guy, the guy still feels like he's in pain. And you, I heard this story about how Tony Parker's like, oh, I had the same thing but worse, so don't even like get me started on it. Um, yeah. And I don't know. There's been too many cautionary tales from Derek Rose to um, Isaiah Thomas where, you know, people didn't listen to their bodies or took the advice of surgeons or doctors or team doctors too seriously. Like, you, people know their bodies and you've got to believe... This really comes down to whether you believe that he would hold the team ransom because he didn't want to be there the next year and he'd pout so he could get yeah. away from the team. Or if you believe he's actually hurt and hurting and worried about his body. Um, yeah. I, I'm just surprised from his camp and from like a communications point of view that they didn't come out sooner and try and kind of steer this message a little better. Why has it been six months of... Greg Popovich referring all questions to Kawhi's camp, you know, like why yeah. has it been six months of questioning? It's not really fair on a fan base, and he could have, he could have, you know, I'm not saying he's got to hop on Instagram, but there's a lot of ways he could have gotten the message out and quelled fears and uh, hushed the rumors. And I'm not sure why it's happened like this, and even what happened with ESPN this week and that story coming out from Ramona Shelburne, like. It's news, but, like, it, it wasn't exactly, like, why is there competing narratives from the Spurs PR and from Kawhi Leonard's group? Why is yeah. no and one on the same page? Why Why is this all happening behind closed doors and it's all whispers? Yeah. This is ridiculous. And, and why is this all happening while apparently Pop and Kawhi have still a great relationship? Yeah, and they're texting every week. Like, it's weird. Yeah, so what, it's, it's extremely weird and... I think Tony Parker said it best where he said, I'll keep it at this. It was definitely the most unusual, toughest season by far since I've been here. And the guy's been there for (laughs) ages. And I know they've been a matter of consistency and uh, it's been very, not easy, but 
everything's been known what's going on. And this has obviously been a difficult experience for everyone, but it's just a weird situation that even with this latest report has only brought up more questions about, you know, will Kawhi sign the Supermax with the Spurs? Will the Spurs even offer it? Will Pop even be back after the devastating loss of his wife? Will Kawhi stay if Pop stays? Will Kawhi leave if Pop leaves? Um, There are just so many issues, you know, all these talks about stupid shoe deals and mixing that with contracts and endorsements and where Kawhi wants to play. And I just don't know how this is going to be resolved unless these guys get in a room and resolve it because mm. they're not playing anymore. He's not coming back this season. It's done. Like he never came back. So move on. There's a lot of He's big really question marks. There's a lot of big question marks for the first time yeah. in a long time. And, you know, worst case scenario, it could go the way of the Celtics big three where, you know, doc, the play, a couple of players get traded. The coach leaves. You start from scratch. Like that is to me the worst case scenario because no team has been better set up for some sort of succession plan. No one's had longer to plan or better circumstances which to plan under. It's been smooth sailing for a very long time and I'm saddened to see it go like this. I'm saddened for Pop's loss. I I just, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, and I think the the saddest end to this whole thing would be if Pop and Kawhi both just didn't continue. Mm. If Pop just retired or Pop stopped coaching and, and Kawhi left and... If, if this was the final season of Pop being a part of the NBA and part of the Spurs, I think this would be a sad way to end for sure. I agree completely. And I think the real lesson to learn here, um, if, we, if we go take it back, is, is um, fuck Zaza Pachulia. Fuck you, Zaza. Fuck you, Zaza. He set off a, a chain of events that we can't take back now. But... He doesn't deserve another ring. <laughs> he might get one. He we'll might see. Get we'll see. All right, Adam G. Let's 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 cap it there. Um, All right, Adam. We'll G. be back soon. We're gonna we're gonna talk next week. Um, we're gonna cover off maybe the first team into the conference finals. We'll see if any of these end in a sweep. Uh, but until then, Adam G. Thanks for potting with me, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Adam B.